Hola, hola, chulas. Hi there. We are experts in intuitive eating for on-again, off-again chronic dieters, and we are here to help you take the guilt and stress out of eating so you can become the first in your family to break the diet cycle, just like we are in our families. We want you to be who you are without food guilt. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, No More Guilt for Melissa and Your Latina Nutritionist for Delina. Are you ready? Let's break the diet cycle. Hey, it's me, Melissa. Before we start, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by No More Guilt with Melissa Landry. What you are about to listen to is not a professional coaching or counseling session. Each episode is a one-time conversation meant for educational purposes. Look, we're dietitians, but we're not your dietitian. Remember that podcasts don't constitute treatment. If you have concerns about your dieting behaviors, seek out guidance from a medical or mental health professional. And if you're looking for the process, support, and focus you need to live life without food guilt, apply for a coaching program from today's sponsor, me. I'm currently enrolling clients into one-to-one programs, group programs, and I recently added a do-it-yourself format, the Ex-Dieter's Guide to No More Guilt. Apply for a program at melissalandrynutrition.com. I hope to meet you soon. One more thing, Tula. We know how hard you are working to break the diet cycle out there. We appreciate that work because we know every single one of you who breaks the diet cycle is making our world more inclusive and safe for others to do the same. It's personal. We get it. That's probably why you're listening to a podcast. It's private and at your own pace. That's why if you've ever found benefit from this podcast, we want you to review and rate us. There are more people like you who want the same benefit. Helping our podcast get found by women like you is the best way to help us further our mission to break the diet cycle. We literally couldn't do it without you. Will you review us after you listen to this episode? Thanks, Tula. You will notice today, my friends, that your favorite Latina nutritionist, Delina, is not part of the interview. Delina, you had a rip-roaring time down in NYC for, it was like an interview with the scam about eating disorder awareness, yeah? Yeah, so I was up, right? Because New York is up for me, but it's down for you. (laughs) Okay, that was Boston normative thinking. (laughs) The world revolves around Boston, don't you know? Down in New York for me, up in New York for Philly. Up in New York for me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I was at the Skim and they did a whole course. So it's Skim You. And they did a whole course on intuitive eating. And I was there with Wendy and Jess from Food Heaven. And they did the main part, which was the course. And I was part of the panel for the Q&A and answering all things intuitive eating. It was eating disorder awareness week. week. Okay. Like. So there was a lot going on and, and we did answer some questions on eating disorder, but yeah, it was fun. I, I have been a fan of the skim, like it's for a very long yeah. time. Yeah. So that's very cool. I, they're, they're like one of those female owned businesses that mm-hmm. came up around like the original online business surge in the 2000s. Like that's a yeah. very strong female-led company. So I loved that you are also a strong female-led company Yeah, hanging out with other entrepreneurs like that. It's I amazing. was up in their headquarters. <laughs> did you eat anything delicious in New York? I don't think we oh debriefed. Oh, did I eat? Oh my, did I eat? I saw, yes. some, I saw some pictures. Yes. So they set us really good at the skim. They ordered some really good food. And then Laura and I, one of our fellow dietitian friends, we went out and we had a lot of good food. And then, yeah, 
came back with Camila from Peloton and we also had really good food. It was just like, I was out there living my best life. You needed it after (laughs) Delina does not, you know, she's not one to complain, but you have had a year or two, you know, being a mom of two kids, owning your business. You got out there. I was very happy for you to do that. Well, I wanted to let everyone know why you're not going to hear Delina in this upcoming interview with Rebecca, who is an ADHD specialized nutritionist. This episode is for you. If you have ADHD, if you know someone with ADHD, or if you are someone who maybe considers themselves having behavioral tendencies like those that people with ADHD have, Rebecca is amazing. She tells us the difference between ADHD and certain behaviors you struggle with something super important as we talk about mental health awareness. I think you're going to love this episode. Without further ado, let's jump in and hear from Rebecca on how ADHD impacts your eating habits. So my friends, today you are just going to hear my voice, Melissa's voice, because our friend Delina is traveling in New York City. She just did an event for the skim. And so it is just me, Rebecca, and Becca's dog. Hey, Becca's dog. What is your dog's name? You're going to have to... This is Lola. (laughs) The joys of living in an apartment complex means whenever anyone walks down the hall, she gets excited. (laughs) Well, um, my Lucy is listening outside the door trying to say hello. But without further ado, I would love to introduce you, Becca. Tell us a little bit about you and what you do. And then let's talk about ADHD and nutrition. Yes. Super exciting. Well, I'm Becca. I am a registered dietitian as well. I also have ADHD. And I, I work with adults of ADHD and struggle with disordered eating. So yeah, I got started at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I actually worked in weight loss and I hated it. It was sucking the life out of me and I got the opportunity to get laid off. And I was like, you know, I love that phrasing. I got the opportunity to get laid off. Yes. I like my best friend had came down from New York city and like right at the beginning of the pandemic and we couldn't get tested at the time. And she was living with me in my little studio apartment. And we both got sick and we were like, I don't know if this is COVID or a cold. And so they're like, don't come into work. And after like two weeks when I was supposed to come back in, they passed on employment stuff. And so I was like, you know, how about like, you just like, how about I just don't come back? And they were like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. That works. Conscious uncoupling. (laughs) <laughs> yes. So it was like, this is perfect. And actually prior to that, I, they wanted me to see part of the reason I really wanted to leave was they wanted me to see a bulimic patient for weight loss. And she had, was still very yeah, active in her, in her eating disorder. And she wasn't in any therapy or anything. And I was like, we can't do this. And I was like, this is so wrong. And they basically told me that we see everyone here and that because of her BMI, which we all know is BS that she needed to lose weight. And I was like, this is wrong. This is not how I was trained. And they're like, well, we see everyone. And if you're not comfortable with that, then maybe you should find somewhere else to like work. And then that's when I was like, when that, that's why I say I got the opportunity because it was not, we did not align. And I was kind of use that as my place to, I was like, you know, I've always wanted to have my own practice. And I was like, this is a great time where everyone is at home and needs virtual can do things virtually. So I was like, this is, was kind of how I got started. And then I was um, working with, (laughs) with Libby, um, my business coach and trying to figure out my niche and intuitive eating. And I was actually working with my best friend and kind of, she had a very similar experience. Like I did in grad school um, with stimulant medication of like not eating enough during the day and then binging at night. And 
I was like, I think no one talks about this and, you know, with ADHD. And so I did some polls and some Facebook support groups and all the women said they struggled with overeating or binge eating. And I was like, no one talks about this. And it's even just like a footnote sometimes in like research on ADHD. It's like things like risky driving get like more attention than eating disorders. And I'm like, I know risky driving is dangerous, but I'm like, we have to like eating every day. Right. Yeah. Several times a day. It keeps us alive. I was like, and we're not really talking about this or it's all a lot of stuff's geared towards kids with ADHD, but kids grow up and still have ADHD. And then what? Right. Yeah. And you don't have your parents anymore to help you manage eating and all of that when you are younger. So that's kind of when I was like, I think I'm going to start talking about this. And sure enough, it's something that a lot of people have needed some support with. Yeah. Well, I love how you were just open to all of these things going on in your life. And it seemed like, it seems like almost um, like effortless for you to like come into these things where you're like, okay, this doesn't feel ethical. This job is ending. Yeah. I kind of always wanted to, like, you kind of allowed yourself to like, kind of take it one step at a time. And then everything sort of became clearer and clearer. And I'll tell you, Becca, when I first stumbled across your page, my reaction was like, this is the first time I've seen someone take this message of anti-diet intuitive eating and really talk about it specifically for ADHD. So I think you're spot on about yourself there. I really, at least in my sphere, like you were the first person I was like, you were labeling something that I had seen in my practice working with people. Yeah. Often we're like, Oh, folks with ADHD, they, they, their appetite is, is diminished. This is how it was kind of taught to me. Their appetite is diminished earlier in the day. And then they eat a lot and weight loss says help them to not eat a lot at the end of the day, instead of help them work with the way that they think, help them work with the way that that medication acts or doesn't act. And you started talking about this stuff. And I was like, heck yes. And this is why representation really matters. That's something I never would have put together because I don't have the lived experience of ADHD. So yeah, just like from me to you, I was just so excited (laughs) about what you're doing. Um, And I think the popularity of your age is like a testimony to what you saw that like, I bet a lot of people felt like that where they're like, thank you for labeling what I'm going through here. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's like a light bulb words to it for sure. Yeah. And it is so cool to like make that connection of like, it's usually a lot of times I think people's like missing piece with sometimes if you have ADHD with your relationship with food, it's like, you know, I know what I should, you know, I quote unquote, I know what I should be doing, or I know, like, I know things, but it's the doing piece a lot of times with ADHD Mm. that's challenging. And so being able to be like, oh, I get it now, or here's why I've struggled with food for so long and being able to make that connection to me is just really um, it's a, a service like in and of itself. And I find yeah. that with my clients too, like sometimes being able to label what you're going through and yeah. realizing like, Oh, okay. There's, there's like a mechanism behind, there's a why behind this. It's yes. not that I'm fundamentally messed up or broken. Like yeah, I can label this and I can work on it. That's just so powerful. So I want to thank you for what you've yeah. done for that. Cause many of my clients with ADHD talk about this too. So I think, yeah, we needed you. Yes. All right. But let's talk for a moment because we keep saying yeah. ADHD, ADHD, we're using the terminology. I think in pop culture or in regular speak, people are aware of ADHD, but I sometimes wonder about the way that it's used. Like I hear people say like, Ugh, I'm being so ADHD today, meaning they feel distracted or maybe they have some yeah. energy going on that feels chaotic to them in some way. Yeah. Like, that's my take on what that means in a pop culture way, but there's yeah. a real diagnostic criteria for ADHD. There's a spectrum of experiences with ADHD. Can you yes. tell the listeners yeah. like what is ADHD, the diagnosis? Yes. So 
I think the like stereotypical, like hyperactive little boy is what a lot of people think ADHD is. And especially in women, it doesn't really show up as a hyperactive boy. Um, most women, if you have the, there's three types of ADHD. So there's the hyperactive, inattentive, which used to be ADD and then combined. So you have kind of certain criteria for the hyperactive piece and the inattentive piece and people who kind of have, you know, like three or four symptoms from each of those have the combined type. So they might have some hyperactivity and some inattentive um, traits, but it's really more so that our brains are lower in dopamine, which means we're always seeking activities that we enjoy or we find rewarding for us. That's why some things like day-to-day things can be challenging for ADHDers because it's like putting the dishes away is not a fun activity, you know, compared to other things. You might not want to do that. So I think that piece and it's that's where that attention piece is. It's not necessarily that we can't pay attention. It's just that it's hard to harness our attention to specific things, or it might not be what we want to put our attention towards, but it's not really like something you can turn a light switch on and off and be like, Oh, today's I'm today. I'm, you know, being, I can't pay attention, but tomorrow it's perfectly fine. It's something that people struggle with. It doesn't really go away. If you have ADHD, you might have days where that might feel better, but it's not going to be this like, Oh, it's just this one random day of the week. (laughs) That's a struggle for me. It's usually all the time kind of thing. And it impacts every aspect of your life. I think a lot of people think it's like, Oh, I just can't do my schoolwork and study, or it's challenging to do work stuff, but it really does impact your relationships with other people. And, you know, all of the things I would just say, like, I usually tell people when you get your diagnosis, it's like peeling back an onion and you start to see all these layers of your life where you finally have an explanation for why maybe you felt weird and growing up or you felt different or you struggled with different things. It's like, Oh, now I have this explanation for it. So, and so that, that like kind of ongoing aspect because what, you know, hyperactivity or, you know, more energy and inattentiveness that's within the realm of like normal human experience. Yeah. I think yeah. where sometimes people try to almost like pathologize that in and of itself, they're beating themselves up for those individual experiences, but there's nothing wrong with going through that. Right. And yeah. whether or not you have the diagnosis. So I, I love how you frame that. Like it helped you to make sense of your experience and your world. Yeah. So for ADHD, nutrition obviously comes into the fold. I don't perceive nutrition as a primary treatment for ADHD. Yeah. Is that right to say that like that nutrition doesn't treat ADHD? Yeah. Red flag. If someone says they can cure or like cure or treat your ADHD with diet or foods kind of in that wellness. Diet doesn't cause it. I think we see that sometimes with like sugar connections that like sugar causes it. Mm -mm, Not quite. Nope. Yeah. And so I think. And there really isn't any like specific diet that has been shown to help with ADHD. There's I feel like most of the recommendations that are out there are like the general guidelines for healthy eating. They're nothing glamorous and exciting, really, you know? And so I think it is the actually a lot of times doing things again, that's the challenge. So it might be, I know, I, you know, I might know that I need to eat more whole grains and high fiber foods, but maybe there's a challenge there of cooking or preparing those things for yourself that can make it challenging. So, so, you know, I practice with intuitive eating. I believe you kind of pull from that framework in your own work. Why do you think intuitive eating is such a good fit for, can I call ADHD ears? Is that, yeah, I I refer to us as ADHD ears. Cause instead of being like every time being a person with ADHD, it's just the mouthful. So ADHD ears for shorthand. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I'm going to have an ADHD moment and say, can you repeat the question? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, now I remember. I remember it. You said <laughs> intuitive eating and ADHD. So I think part of the reason it is helpful is there's a lot of research behind mindfulness being helpful with ADHD. And I think the mindfulness component of intuitive eating, of learning how to listen to our bodies and trust our bodies. I think that piece can be really helpful for ADHDers and there's not rules to follow and all of these things, which can lead to a lot of guilt and shame for ADHDers because you might already struggle with getting tasks done and things and sticking to things. And so if you can't stick to a diet, you have all that shame and self-blame there and you can't fail at intuitive eating. So it's just, I think, can help you also work with your brain to find a way of eating that works best for you. And it's not going to look like what it might look like for somebody else. And that's okay. Um, But it kind of can help create that space of like, what works best for me? What, you know, what eating patterns work best, how maybe needing some extra tools in place to remember to eat or to eat consistently or have things on hand. But I think it just kind of takes some of that stress and a lot of that shame and just figuring out what works best for you. Well, and it seems like part, like you keep saying, it's hard to like follow through when you yeah. have ADHD. And to me, that's like, okay, so decisions <laughs> might be hard to make. Like yeah. that feeling of like stalling out. I just wonder if that's part of that. And if, if that's yeah. true, like with intuitive eating, then you still have to make decisions. And I'd be very curious how ADHDers do with like the hunger fullness scale. Cause I bet that they get very rigid around <laughs> like when, when to eat or not eat. But uh, yeah, I think the diets add so many more, um, so much more pressure to make the right decision, yes. which I would imagine makes you short circuit even more than yes. you're already struggling with. So that makes sense that intuitive eating is a little more natural. Yeah. And with. then it's not that like I have clients who will be like, well, if I don't have the good choice, good quote unquote, good choice or the quote unquote healthy choice, then I just won't eat. And then I'm going to end up binging or overeating later because I skipped my snack because I, you know, the only thing I had available was what was labeled quote unquote bad Mm. to that person. So I think, yeah, it does help just kind of open up the door to be like, Hey, I can eat. Like people just be like telling me like, you know, I feel okay eating, you know, like having some chips as a snack because that's what's available instead of just not eating at all. Or, and I think that can be huge. Yeah, there's a quote, Dr. Hollowell, who's an ADHD psychologist, he says, we're consistently inconsistent mm-hmm. and dieting requires consistency, which is challenging enough for anybody, but yeah. that piece in particular, it's just extra hard. And then there's just so much blame that we put, always put on ourselves, not the diet as to why it didn't work. And it's like, no, it was the diet that didn't work for you. So like, let's find the way to eat for you that works. And I think that piece is nice because it's just, yeah, again, it just lets you work with your brain versus feeling like, like maybe I need to do like meal, like the traditional meal prep. Like not most of my clients don't want to spend a Sunday in their kitchen cooking for hours. And that just doesn't work for them. But a lot of them feel like they should do that because that's what diet culture tells you is the way to be healthy. And I'm like, no, you don't have to do that. We can have a million other ways to meal plan or meal prep in a way that works for you. And that, and that can be very personal. Very freeing. Like you're, you're basically saying like, let's work with our brains. Like let's work with the way we're built. That makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah. Satisfaction is another core. I mean, it's the component of intuitive eating. And again, you're saying like reward and like pleasurable experiences because of the the biology of this, like the dopamine piece is part of decision-making. So if we're coming from the lens of like, what will be satisfying and working in that realm versus what's the right thing again, like it was like built for ADHD. You get to maximize the reward that way. I'm like, you get 
to, you know, when you are being intentional and mindful and actually paying attention to what you're eating and it's enjoyable, you're getting all of that, that sensory experience is a nice way to get dopamine. And when you can do that, it's, you know, it is a good source of dopamine and it's, it's successful. And a lot of my clients, you are like, I love food for that reason. I'm like, I know that's, that's true. true. (laughs) Yeah. And validating that, that, that is, I think sometimes we see it more, um, around like emotional eating where we could say like food is a choice that you get to make. And this isn't necessarily emotional eating at its core, but it relates to our emotions and feelings. And so that permission to eat in that context is a game changer. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I put it them kind of in the same areas. Usually yeah. how I explain it. Of, yeah. Like, cause a lot of people will be like, I, a lot of my clients will be like, it's, it feels like boredom eating or like, I need something to do with my hands or my mouth as strange as that might sound. And I'm like, yeah. So it's probably more of like needing that stimulation component of things. Yeah. Or like, I always need some, a crunchy snack when I was, you know, studying so that I could pay like pay attention or something like that. And be like, yeah, that's where that eating for stimulation piece comes in. And instead of demonizing it and saying, never do that, it's how do we make that experience as mindful as possible so you can like maximize that reward there and then also just build other tools so that food doesn't just have to be the only one. Just like when we have, when we're dealing with some negative emotions, food can be a part of that, but it doesn't need to be our only tool there. Yeah. Maximize the reward, minimize the struggle. That's yeah. the name of the game here. And yeah. that's why you can't fail, right? Because it's really yeah. just always working that balance instead of a right and a wrong. Okay. So you've mentioned that like binge eating can be something that comes up as an ADHD struggle. What else are some of the key food struggles you see in the ADHD community? I would say recognizing hunger and fullness cues is a challenge because ADHDers do have lower levels of interoceptive awareness. So a lot of my clients, even like in intuitive eating, when, you know, they talk about, you know, you have the cue to go to the bathroom, you know, diet culture doesn't demonize it. So you just get up and go to the bathroom and all my clients will laugh when I say that. Cause they're like, that's not true. And I'm like, and eh, no, if you have ADHD, most body cues will be kind of ignored a lot of times until they're like screaming at us. Like mm-hmm. we're usually just either stimulated by our whole environment and just trying to get our, trying to get a lot of things done that we don't pause and kind of have that moment to like check inward and be like, do I need anything right now? And so I think that can be a challenge is recognizing hunger cues and recognizing fullness cues, which means if you don't recognize that you're hungry, even if you're not on meds, I'll usually talk about like not eating all day and binging at night in regards to meds. And then people will be like, well, I do that. And I'm not on meds. And I think it's just that the appetite suppressant just makes it even easier to not recognize hunger cues when you're on your meds. But if you have ADHD, you might just not recognize it, or you might get hyper-focused and forget to eat for, you know, you might be like, I'm going to write this email and then I'll eat. And then all of a sudden like four hours go by and you're like, I need food now. Like I'm starving. So I think inconsistent eating can be a a challenge for, for ADHD years as well. But I'm struck by like, again, it's, it's not that it's so different from maybe like a typical eater. It's just that it's amplified. And once you identify the struggle, it might be hard to execute on some yes. of the intuitive eating solutions that, yeah. that exist. So 
I think that's actually, I hope that's comforting and affirming for people. Like, yeah, it's not all that different. It's just how you approach it. And that's where tailoring can often come in. It's like when a lot of people read the book and they're like, I read it and I don't know what to do. Yes. It's it's essentially a textbook. And you know, I love my girls, Evelyn and Elise, the co-authors, there are dietitians, heroes, but it is a textbook. So yeah, that's not how you learn. You've got to figure out how to experiment and and execute on it. But it looks like you found your list. What's on your list? Yes. Sensory issues with food too is a big one. Some people who can have a lot of picky eating around or, you know, especially with meds, meds can kind of change sometimes the appeal of food or food doesn't taste as good or taste the same. Um, And so that can make eating a challenge as well. Yeah. Forgetting to eat. I think even emotional eating too, as well is a big, because emotional dysregulation is a part of ADHD, especially in women, I would say. And so I think that food can um, definitely come into there. That's kind of where that another part of where it can contribute to binge eating as well. I'm curious, you know, you are a woman with ADHD and you, you kind of said before that the stereotype maybe was around men or young little boys or young men in your communities. Are you working with men and women? Like what, what, what is the prevalence for women? How are women getting into ADHD communities as adults? So I think the pandemic has been kind of, it spotlighted a lot of mental health struggles for people, but, you know, a lot of women are more, I would say are better at masking their symptoms. So kind of learning how to act in a way that they appear neurotypical to other people. And I think that's why women get their diagnosis missed a lot more until they're older. So maybe their kid, their kids getting tested and they're like, well, I'm just like my kid. And then the doctor's like, you didn't know you had ADHD. That happens a lot for my clients or they're just later in life social media has been a really great tool in that regard of like, here, here's kind of what, like what some of the things you might struggle with if you have ADHD or what your day-to-day life might look like. And then people are like, wait, that's not normal. I thought everyone did that. And so I think it's been helpful. So I find a lot of my clients are more on the later diagnosed side because most boys get diagnosed in their early years of their life. Whereas most women don't get diagnosed until at least mostly their adult years. So most of my clients that I work with are primarily women and usually between 20s to 50s and usually more on the newly diagnosed side of things. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just, I, I went, I was in school through the mid nineties through the early mid two thousands. And just like, I feel like there was so much going on around ADHD in terms of like interventions and awareness and then social media comes in. And so you're, you're right that we all kind of grew up with this, this awareness and this intervention around ADHD that maybe wasn't there generations prior. Um, Yeah. It's just really interesting to see how it all unfolds. Yeah. And I think now that they there's, and I can link it for, for, I can send you the link to it. There's a really nice consensus paper about ADHD and women. And it's just nice if anyone's interested in it. I'm super curious. Yeah, it is. It's nice because it just explains kind of some of the differences and how it presents. Cause like most women who are hyperactive, it's more like mentally hyperactive that like their thoughts are all over the place and things like that versus like I'm bouncing in my chair and you know, mm-hmm. I definitely still fidget and things like that, but it's not more in the brain. So it's like, you can't see it, but I'm definitely hyperactive. Yeah. So, and working with a therapist is where you can kind of tease that out because 
what you're describing from what I understand, it also overlaps with symptoms of anxiety and depression mm-hmm. and other mental health stuff. And sometimes they're, they're comorbid or going on at the same time. And so as tempting as it is to like, listen to this and be like, Oh my God, I'm doing it right now. I'm like, Oh my God, I do all the things. She said. Like, <laughs> it's normal to, to try to like make sense and self-diagnose, yeah. but it's, it's also important to have that like holistic picture so that you're doing the things because like we're saying, nutrition is not a treatment. Yeah. <laughs> so it is important to like, if you're curious, absolutely double click yeah. and check. Yeah. Um, explore, explore it with your therapist. A lot of times. Yeah. I think it's a really large number of people, adults with ADHD have some other comorbidity in terms of mental health issues. So it's usually, it's usually anxiety, depression, or OCD. A lot of times that are alongside that diagnosis. And I think those usually can be worse when our ADHD is unmanaged. And then Mm. once your ADHD gets more managed, like all a lot of times that stuff becomes easier to manage too, if they're kind of related. So So intuitive eating doesn't hurt these diagnoses at any range of your awareness or treatment. That's, that's what I think you and I both love about intuitive eating compared to weight loss. It's like, it really is a do no harm approach. Like it doesn't matter where you are in terms of like on the neurodivergence spectrum or on your mental health spectrum, it's going to benefit you (laughs) to know these amazing. (laughs) It's very inclusive in that way. Yeah. And I think too, like just even learning how to hone into trusting our bodies better makes it easier Mm -hmm. to deal with other struggles along with mental health and trying to hyper-focus on food or weight loss in the hopes that that's going to somehow be a cure-all for your mental health struggles when it's like, there's no research out there that losing weight is going to help your mental, make your mental health better. So it often makes it worse. Worse. This podcast is probably doing so because they are experiencing some of those things. So yes. One thing we haven't really totally touched on is like diet culture influences. You've mentioned a little bit, like there's a little bit of maybe extra guilt and shaming that goes on when people can't apply diets they learn about while, while working with their ADHD. Is there any other differences that ADH folks might experience around diet culture? Um, I think the only other thing I'd add is like the, the eat this, not that that's out there for ADHD, which a lot of that stuff doesn't really have sound research behind a lot of it's in that same like wellness of like all of the like the wellness culture. Eat, yeah. Of like, don't eat dairy or gluten. And you know, that's gonna, gonna, yeah, food dies. It's going to make your ADHD worse. And I'm like, you know, if you notice that drinking a red Gatorade makes your ADHD worse, then maybe consider not having, a, you know, having the red Gatorade, but like, I don't think a lot of times I think some of the diet culture messaging around like what you should do, do with diet and ADHD is like eat everything that, you know, no processed foods, everything needs to be organic. It's very, you know, it's not accessible for a lot of people in the, in that regard, or it's just, it's a lot of time to cook everything from scratch and not everyone has that time. It's expensive to buy organic and non some foods that don't have preservatives or aren't as processed. And I think it's also people with ADHD struggle with executive function and cooking requires a lot of being able to plan and organize. It's and just implement. like a spiral. You can't get yeah. And I'm it. like, yeah. 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 And I'm like, if you're a parent or anyone with ADHD and you're like, well, now I have to spend all this time reading food labels and cooking everything. I'm like, that's just a lot of un- personally unnecessary stress for it. Maybe helping your symptoms, symptoms, like a big, big, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, right. Oh, so true. And like, and that's just that confusion, I think. Yeah. With all that. Even if you right now are like, I 
believe that weight loss works, or I believe wellness culture works. You're bringing up such a good point. It's like, even if it did, what it takes to use it is so challenging, so difficult. Like if we had a cure for cancer and the way you got it was by walking to the moon, it's not a cure for cancer. It doesn't matter because you can't walk to the moon. So (laughs) I, I think that's what you're saying is like, even if this stuff were true, like us going to implement it at this moment in time, there's a real barrier here. And so yeah, don't let perfect be enemy of the good. Like how do you want to feel like what, what is important to you in your life? Let's use that. What we know about the brain of someone with ADHD and make it so effing easy yes. to feed yourself. And that's what yes. you're offering, which is amazing. Yeah. yeah. I find even just giving people the permission, like I call some con- more convenience foods shortcuts just because they it. Ma- yeah. make your life easier. And it, and it makes you sound savvy. <laughs> yeah. Like, Ooh, instead of boiling a thing and making rice, I'm just going to buy the 92nd bag of rice and it's okay. And like just giving people the permission to like take shortcuts and cooking and not cook things from scratch and just take some of that like stress off of yourself with cooking. And it makes it much more easier and enjoyable. And then people are like, Oh, I can actually do this. Like I can actually cook, even if it doesn't mean every single piece of, of the cooking process is made from scratch. Yeah. We just did an episode on this with Shauna from the nutrition tea, because she loves nice. to talk about processed foods. So this, that's really good tip on our, the heels of that episode, because people just yeah. heard all of our takes on that. Yeah. But it's true. Like you got to eat in the way that serves you and your body. You get to decide. And yeah, that's really helpful advice. Yeah. Is there one takeaway or like one message that feels really important for you to share with someone who has ADHD, who wants to do intuitive eating? I know that's kind of a, yeah. I always hate doing this to people, but like what, what would be something important for someone to take away from this conversation? I think a lot of people with ADHD, when I talk about intuitive eating, feel like that's just, could I could never do that because I'm just, you know, I'm impulsive. So like, I, you know, in, intuitively, I'm always just going to grab a, you know, I'm always just going to eat a cookie or a cake or whatever candy all the time. And I think when you start getting more connected with your body and you start to feel, get connected with how foods feel in your body, it is true. You are not, I promise you not going to just want to eat cake and cookie and candies all the time. But I do think it does again, like allow you to embrace your neurodivergence and find a way of eating that makes you feel your best. And it does really just take out that stress and guilt out of eating. And yeah, it is for everyone. I think that always gets like, people are like, it's, I can't do intuitive eating because of X or Y. And it's like, no, you really can make intuitive eating work for you. And even for people like on meds, like I'll always be like practical hunger when you are on ADHD medication is huge. And like, you might not be hungry, but knowing that like you Planning need to eat it. lunch. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. you still need to eat lunch. Like it's not like, Oh, it's really like, well, if I intuitively, I just wouldn't eat till five o'clock at night. And I'm like, but logically we know that like waiting till five o'clock at night to eat probably isn't going to make you feel feel your best. And it's probably not going to make your brain work as well. Yeah. That is such a common thing. Like I'll start intuitive eating when, and it's almost like they want this squeaky clean status of mindfulness, like this inner connection with spirituality, because if I can get to that point, then it'll be safe to do. Then I can be in control. And it's it's actually not the order of things through the process of practicing. You figure out how to get closer to that mindfulness, closer to that, that feeling of like, sometimes I would like 
donuts and sometimes I would like what I might call a quote balanced meal it's gonna yeah. be different yeah so that's great advice don't yeah wait. it is yeah it, and it's just it's a skill just like everything else we do in life we can always learn new skills right like we are all very capable of taking on and learning new things and I think just being open and curious and it is it builds on each other the more eating experiences you have in that intuitive eating lens, those experiences build and that mindfulness and connectedness with our bodies grows. And it's just, there's that shift that ends up happening throughout the process, which is always very cool to, for me, at least to watch with my clients where they're like, oh my gosh, I like really actually, like, I actually know what fullness feels like for what, so that's never happened to me before. Or like, you know, I ate something that I normally would feel really guilty for. And I ate some of it and just moved on or like, and I think it's just cool to me to get to see things like that. It feels very hopeful, yes. especially for people who felt stuck and confused for a really long for, time. Yes. Yes. Well, Hey, I'm really excited. You got laid off. That is. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> Congrats on your layoff. Um, yeah. And I just, I am like really impressed with you truly. Like oh, your page is you. so amazing. Having met you today, I can just feel how this is what you're meant to be doing. And it, it yes. just, it's, it's very cool to see yeah. you in this space. Where can people find you? Tell us a little bit about what you offer. If listeners here are like, I, I need to work with Becca. Where would they find <laughs> I'm mostly on Instagram and there's a link in my bio. Um, if you want to set up a call and chat with me about working together. Um, but my Instagram handle is at ADHD.nutritionist. Um, and I, right now I offer a 10 week small group that is kind of a crash course in intuitive eating through the lens of having ADHD. So kind of adjusting for some of those challenges that we've talked about today, um, and kind of figuring out how to make it work for you and having, I think a nice safe environment of other people who have ADHD and struggle with, yeah, and get it. It's so, it's just, it's so fun to me, but like to have people, everyone on the call just gets each other and understand. I've never had like weird, awkward groups. Everyone just vibes really well together. I'm like, this is so nice. Cause even like, oh, you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay. Yeah. And it's so nice, at least even for me, because I have ADHD, if I like forget or like forget something or like have a brain fart or just, you know, <laughs> people are understanding of like, oh, she, you know, like we'll get, I'm like, oh, it'll come back in a second. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. So you have a community and, and yeah, that, that just sounds like, again, such an extra added value and an extra service to like have that safety as you're learning. Yes. So. Yeah. Especially if you're newly diagnosed, I think having that space of like, oh, there's other people out there that struggle with the same things as me. Like I think a lot of times, if you don't know other people that have ADHD, I'm just very fortunate that a lot of my friends happen to have ADHD. And so if you don't have those people though, it can feel very isolating when you get your diagnosis. So sure. Wonderful. Well, we'll put your information in show notes. Thank you for your time, Becca. And I look forward to staying connected with you on the socials, but I just appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, of course I missed Delina, but that was a wonderful conversation exploring how intuitive eating yet again can be applied and be helpful for all sorts of mental health or physical health diagnoses. And I hope the more that you hang out with us here on Break the Diet Cycle Pod, you're starting to see that intuitive eating is just a philosophy. It's a set of principles. It's a framework. And what really makes it come alive is you 
your story, your needs, your values, and your wants. And that's exactly what I am doing inside the No More Guilt community. Right now, I am accepting one-to-one clients if you're ready for a high-level, tailored type of support. And I'm opening up special offers all the time that are accessible, include community and education. And so if you're hearing some of these episodes and you're thinking that you might like that support that can make all the difference going from being like completely confused and stuck, scrolling on Insta all day long, trying to figure out what exactly it is that you are going to do to heal your relationship with food. I want you to head on over to my page at no.more.guilt and DM me. Just say hello that you're listening to the pod and we can start talking a little bit about what it might look like to get some support from me. Thank you so much for being here and for being who you are. Peace, love, and break the diet cycle. Peace, love, and break the diet cycle. Peace, love, and break the diet cycle.